This message by C.J. Mahaney was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. C.J. serves as the senior pastor for Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville. If I could have your attention, please. Thank you so very much. There, there is no other church in Sovereign Grace, there is no other church I know of, where the senior pastor would turn to an individual this morning, being myself, and as the song begins, and correct me if I'm wrong, I thought it was congregational singing, and I begin to participate. There's just no other church with a senior pastor who would turn and say to you, why don't you let them sing it? And I love this man for that and for so many other things. And yes, who wouldn't want to be here serving you and learning from you? And to be here is to be affected by you and your example. And in a fresh way this morning, thank you for your unselfishness that is evident in this church plant. It represents sacrifice for this church to send out Walt and Kim. But what a thought this morning as Bill was giving that excellent announcement about this church plant. I was thinking that, that as we meet, non-Christians have awakened in Athens going about their daily Sunday routine. And one day, from among those non-Christians, individuals will hear the gospel and be transformed by the gospel and forgiven of all their sins because of the gospel that this pastor and this church will preach. It doesn't get any better than that. So thank you for your unselfishness. We are going to have the joy of having Walt speak at the church in Louisville in just a few weeks because we want to build the entirety of the church into this man and this church plant because we want to be doing this together by the grace of God for the glory of God. So thank you for your example, sacrifice, making all this happen. Please turn in your Bible to the first letter of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Our attention this morning will be devoted to verses 10 through 12 in the opening chapter. Theologian J.I. Packer describes Holy Scripture as God preaching. So, let us listen attentively and expectantly as I have the privilege of reading God's Word because God is about to preach through the reading of His Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the salvation that Peter has been writing about. He has been describing and celebrating this salvation beginning in verse 3, continuing through verse 9. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired 
carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. When I'm asked to name a historical hero who has influenced my life, my answer, like so many pastors, is the 19th century British pastor Charles Spurgeon. So I'm always looking for anything and everything written by the man or about the man so that I can learn all I can from the man. Christian History magazine devoted an entire issue to the life and ministry of Mr. Spurgeon, and one article that immediately caught my attention was titled, A Collection of True and Unusual Facts about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Unusual facts like these. Mr. Spurgeon first read the book Pilgrim's Progress at age six and went on to read it over 100 times. Before he was 20, before he was 20, Spurgeon had preached over 600 times. Spurgeon once addressed an audience of 23,654 without a microphone or any mechanical amplification. The New Park Street Church in London invited Spurgeon to come for a six-month trial period but Spurgeon asked to come for only three months because, in his words, quote, the congregation might not want me, and I do not wish to be a hindrance. When Spurgeon arrived at the New Park Street Church in 1854, the congregation had 232 members. By the end of his pastorate, 38 years later, that number had increased to 5,311. Altogether, 14,460 people were added to the church during Spurgeon's tenure. The church was the largest independent congregation in the world. Charles Spurgeon is history's most widely read preacher. Today, there is available more material written by Spurgeon than by any other Christian author living or and then there was this true and unusual fact. One woman was converted through reading a single page of one of Spurgeon's sermons wrapped around some butter she had purchased. Spurgeon's sermons were published in the Monday edition of the London Times and the New York Times. And at the time Spurgeon preached, sticks of butter 
were wrapped in newspaper to be sold. And one woman who purchased a stick of butter that was wrapped in a page from Spurgeon's sermon read from that sermon and was converted by the gospel she encountered in that sermon. So to say the least, salvation came to that woman in a most unusual way. What, what a conversion story she had to tell. So, my Christian friend, here's my question for you. How did salvation come to you? How did salvation come to you? Now, I'm thinking from my experience that many of you would probably be quick to say that, well, you don't have an unusual conversion story like this woman to tell. I, I, I have been in numerous contexts over the decades having the privilege to serve in pastoral ministry where I have asked someone, tell me your conversion story. And they have responded with somewhat of a deadpan facial expression saying, well, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents preached the gospel to me. And I was about six and uh, heard the gospel in Sunday school class one morning. I was convicted, convicted of my sin. I wasn't sharing my Legos with my brother. And I turned from my sin and trusted in the Lord for forgiveness of sin. And I've been walking with him ever since. That's it. That's my conversion story. These folks don't seem to think their story of conversion is remarkable, incredible, truly unusual. And perhaps, perhaps that describes you this morning. Perhaps you find yourself sitting here wishing you had a story to tell, just like that woman, wishing you had some kind of dramatic story to tell. Perhaps you even find yourself envying her this morning or envying others you know who it just seems, man, they've got an unusual story of their conversion to tell. But what if I told you this morning, you need not envy this woman. If you are a Christian, your story of how salvation came to you is, in fact, a most unusual story. A most unusual story with historical roots dating back centuries and a story that presently provokes cosmic interest. A story that should remind you of God's personal affection for you a story that should freshly impress upon you the grace of God that you didn't deserve and intensify your gratefulness to God as a result. If you are a Christian, if you have a story of conversion, it's a stunning story. If you are a Christian, 
your story of how salvation came to you is a stunning story. Just stunning. And in verses 10 through 12, Peter cares for the original readers who find themselves in the midst of painful trials of persecution, persecution that has blindsided them, persecution for their faith. And he cares for them by reminding them how salvation came to them. So Peter cares for them by telling them their story. And in doing so, he tells our story as well. Because if you are a Christian, this is your story. Verse 10, concerning this salvation. That's a reference to the salvation he's been articulating and celebrating really from the outset of this letter. And Peter then proceeds to describe how this salvation came to him, to them. How, how they have been served by others. They have been served by others. Here is their story. Here is how salvation came to them. And he begins with the prophets. So their salvation came to them because others have served them. And he begins by drawing their attention to the prophets. Salvation came to the original readers because of the prophets. Verse 10, the prophets. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Now take special note of the word yours because he's telling their story. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. So take special note of the word you. He's telling their story. Peter informs the original readers that their story of salvation, their privileged status as Christians, as the people of God, it came to them because the Old Testament prophets served them. Ultimately, ultimately the prophets of old weren't serving their contemporaries when they prophesied of the promised Messiah to come. No. Ultimately, they were serving the original readers of Peter's letter. And all these guys, they were serving us as well. Listen, if you are a Christian, the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, name them one by one. Those boys, they were all serving you. Salvation came to you because of them. Salvation came to you because of them and through them. And when you, listen, when you adopt this perspective of the prophets serving you, it will actually transform how you read the prophets. So let's just briefly consider one obvious and compelling example of this. So some 700 years before the incarnation of the Son of God, the prophet Isaiah prophesied and wrote, but he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed by the wrath of God, Bill referenced earlier crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now listen, this prophecy wasn't inspired by Isaiah's intuition or his imagination. No, Peter informs us that this prophecy was inspired by the Spirit of Christ within Isaiah. And like all the prophets, Isaiah, notice what Peter said, searched and inquired carefully. He searched and inquired carefully about the Messiah and the timing of it all. When was this going to happen? And no doubt, will it happen in my generation? Will it happen in my lifetime? The prophets had what John Calvin described as, quote, this private desire to know when. <laughs> oh, man, of course they did. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you were given this prophecy, like Isaiah, wouldn't you want to know the when? I would want to know the when. I am sure these prophecies created a curiosity for these guys as they mused on them and just tried to figure out the timing of their fulfillment. Understandably, the prophets wanted to know. They wanted to know when their predictions would be fulfilled. Would they be alive to see their very fulfillment? These guys, these guys could foretell. They could foretell the grace that was to come through the Messiah, and they could foresee the coming of the Messiah, but they could not perceive exactly when this would all go down. Except, except that the Lord revealed to these guys, quote, that they were not serving themselves Look at these words carefully. That they were not serving themselves, but you. Oh my. I mean, what was it like for them to receive this news? Isaiah. God inspires him with Isaiah 53. He perceives. He foretells. And then somehow someone breaks the news to him. <laughs> you're not serving yourself. This prophecy isn't primarily for you or about you. This isn't primarily for your contemporaries. You can foretell and you can foresee, but you will not be alive. I mean, if I'm Isaiah, I'm thinking, okay, that, that's, a, that's a bummer. Um, he was serving Peter's original readers. He was, he was serving us. P Peter is informing the original recipients of his letter that the great and revered prophets like Isaiah, listen, God called them. God called them to serve the original readers. God called them to serve the original readers. And the original readers have experienced what the prophets foretold and perceived and longed to experience. But as men untimely born, 
did not experience. And this is meant to affect the original readers. This is meant to humble them. This is to be humbling to them. Isaiah was called by God to serve me. This is to humble them. Listen, no, no wonder. No wonder Jesus said to his disciples, hey, but blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, the original readers have experienced something that many prophets, many great and revered prophets have longed to experience, but they couldn't. And Jesus says that those who are part of the original readers of this letter, and by implication, each of us here this morning, he says to us, you, you are unusually blessed unusually blessed. You, listen, you have experienced something Isaiah longed to experience. Perceived it, foretold it, but didn't experience it in the same way we have experienced it. So we are, brothers and sisters, we are unusually blessed. When Isaiah prophesied, he lived in the time of prophetic hope. You and I, we live in the time of prophetic fulfillment. We, we enjoy the unspeakable privilege of living in the day of fulfillment, not simply the day of expectation. So Peter describes for the original readers their story of how salvation came to them, how the prophets served them. And this is the story of each and every Christian present today as well. And then Peter reminds them of another way they've been served in their unusual story of salvation. Second, evangelists. Evangelists, verse 12b. Their, their privileged status is further impressed upon them with this reminder of those who serve them by preaching the gospel to them. 12b, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So what the prophets foretold has now all been fulfilled in Christ, and the message of salvation has come to them through those who preach the good news to them by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the very same Spirit that inspired the prophets in their predictive role empowered those who preached the gospel to the original readers of Peter's letter. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ were being proclaimed throughout the Roman world by apostles and evangelists and rank-and-file Christians as well. The original readers were served not only by the prophets, they were served by those who first announced the gospel to them. The things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. And again, take special note of the word you. He's telling them their story. This is their story. They were saved 
because someone served them by announcing the good news of salvation to them. And if you are a Christian this morning, your experience and your story is no different. Listen, if you're a Christian, someone cared enough about you to serve you. They cared enough about you to serve you by announcing the good news to you of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that followed. Could have been a parent, could have been a friend, could have been a preacher, could have been a stranger, perhaps even a page of a sermon that was wrapped in a stick of butter. But everyone here has a story to tell. Everyone has a story to tell of how salvation came to them through someone who served you with the gospel. And brothers and sisters, we must never forget this story. We must never forget this story. And we must never tire of, we must never tire of retelling our stories, and we must never tire of drawing other people out and hearing their stories yet again. Because if you're a Christian, you've got a story to tell, and it is an unusual story to tell. Just, just recently, I, I was surprised in our Sunday meeting when at the conclusion of the meeting, I was approached by an individual that for a second I didn't immediately recognize. But then by three Mississippi, I realized this is the guy who first shared the gospel with me. Bob Torbett had come to surprise me. And I stood there, not only stunned by his presence, for he does not live in the Louisville area, he lives in Florida, but tears filled my eyes as I relived the story of someone who cared enough. Bob was someone who had a sinful influence on me initially, although I'm ultimately responsible for all of my sin. He helped introduce me to the drug culture and all manner of sin related to that. And sadly and to my shame, I gave my heart, soul, and life to that culture and world. Bob moved away. He moved away to Florida. And over a period of time, someone cared enough about Bob to share the gospel with him. And Bob experienced the new birth. Bob turned from his sin and trusted in the Savior for the forgiveness of his sins. And as a new convert, I'm talking about within weeks of his conversion, Bob purposed that he would return to the D.C. area and share that gospel that had transformed his life with all his friends. And that's what he did. He embarked on that journey. He wisely did not inform any of his friends of his conversion. So all those who were awaiting his revival had no clue of his conversion. And in God's mercy, I was one of those individuals awaiting his arrival. And one night, seated in my room as I sat there across from him, assuming that he would want to resume all the partying that so characterized our friendship and life, I asked him if he wanted some hash that I had recently purchased. He declined. Momentarily perplexed, wasn't deterred, I began to smoke hash the room quickly filled with the smell of hash and as i did that bob only been a christian a few weeks i was not sitting across from a learned theologian i 
was sitting across from somebody who had encountered the risen Christ of the cross in the proclamation of the gospel. So he shared all he knew to share. CJ, Christ died for your sins. Now, to date, at that time, no one had shared the gospel with me. I grew up in a nominal Catholic family. I had never read the Bible. If you said, what is a Protestant church? My answer would be, I guess, every other church that isn't Catholic. I, I, I was clueless. But he said to me, Christ died for your sins. Brothers and sisters, in between tokes, I experienced God acting on my soul. And everything changed. And I was convicted. And I turned from my sin. And I trusted in the Savior for the forgiveness of sin. And immediately there was an appetite for a book that I had never read before. The Bible. And Bob left me, I believe it was his Bible. It was a King James Version. I couldn't comprehend much of anything in that Bible. The language was so foreign to me. But even after Bob left, I did something so very strange. I would be underlining passages. If you'd have been there and said, what does that mean? I said, I got no idea. But I'm telling you, I think it's great stuff and it's going to make a difference in my life. I, what was I doing? I was, I was doing a, this is the words of eternal life. I don't fully get them now, fully understand them. Just been converted a couple hours. But, but, but there, I've got an appetite for a book I didn't have an appetite for. Okay, that's my story. That's how salvation came to me. Came to me, humanly speaking, through Bob Tarbett. He cared enough. Cared enough to share the gospel with me. Folks, I... My, my, that's... That's now some 46 years ago. I've never gotten comfortable with standing here. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't. This wasn't a part of the plan for my life. Yeah, there, was, there was nobody who knew me who just said... Yeah, we see him becoming a Christian, and we see him becoming a pastor. There's nobody who saw that as part of my future. So what am I doing here? Well, I'm doing here because, doing this because Bob, Bob Tarver came and shared with me. That's, that, that's my story. Now listen, you've got one too. Now don't, don't be doing this. Oh man, I wasn't in the drug culture. I wasn't a horrible person like you were. I wasn't immersed in evil like you were. I just wasn't sharing my Legos. That's all I was doing. Yours is unusual. Mine, not so much. Here's what I would say to you. I would say, my friend, you don't understand the nature of sin. Because he had to hang suspended between heaven and earth. He was crushed by your sin and under with your sin and under God's wrath because you selfishly wouldn't share Legos with your brother. 
Your sin is every bit as serious as mine. I would actually say God had mercy on you entering your life at six to stop your mad dash to hell. That's mercy. So if that was your dad or your mom, if that was Sunday school teacher, whoever that was, wow, you have an unusual story to share. God came to you at six and revealed your need for the gospel and the Savior he provided. You have a very unusual story. And you know what? We need to not only never forget it, continuously retell it, we need to be actively and consistently thanking those who brought us the story. <laughs> thanking those people who brought us the story. Listen, this, this reminder here, it, it should humble us. It's meant to humble us. It's, it's, it's meant to amaze us. It's, it's meant to intensify our gratefulness to God. I can feel it here, and I'm grateful I can. So many of you reliving your story of how salvation came to you. Peter is reminding the original readers of their unusual story. This is how salvation came to you. The prophets were serving you. God raised up evangelists to announce it to you. And finally, God himself was behind it all. God himself was behind it all. Behind the prophets who prepared the way, behind the preachers who proclaimed the gospel to them, behind it all, behind it all, behind Bob Tarbett, behind Isaiah, was God himself revealing his love for his people and actively serving his people. Now listen, this is part of the divine design of this passage. You are to intensely feel God's affection for you. As you read that, that this passage, that's, that's to be the effect. You're to feel his personal and particular and passionate affection for you through these divinely inspired Words. That is what I've prayed for you this morning. That is Peter's intent. Notice that in just three verses, we've got two references, count them, two references to the Spirit of God. Verse 11, the Spirit of Christ, drawing attention to the Spirit's work of testifying to and about Christ in the prophets. Drawing attention to the Spirit's work to reveal to them the sufferings and subsequent glories of Christ. Wow, centuries before Christ makes his appearance on the stage of history. But all of this reveals the love of Christ for sinners like the original readers and like us this morning. The Spirit of Christ testified to the sufferings of Christ centuries before those sufferings. Now listen, I, I just, I probably should prepare you. Contemplating this has the potential to just blow your life up in every way good with inexpressible joy. Our friend and author John Piper just, he helps us to understand and to feel what this means and reveals when he writes, about the Spirit of Christ in them, indicating the sufferings of Christ, which means, John writes, that Christ, the Son of God in heaven, has been contemplating His suffering 
and his death for us for centuries. So the Spirit of Christ in the prophets revealing to them the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories means that the Son of God in heaven has been contemplating his suffering and death for us for centuries, indeed as far back as the plan of salvation reaches in the mind of God, so far back has Christ been willing and ready to give himself for our sins. You were not loved for just a bloody moment of sacrifice in history. You have been loved for endless ages in the eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners who trust in him. That's what's being revealed here. You've been loved for ages. You've been loved for endless ages. This is an eternal plan, not a spontaneous one. It's an eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners. So, my Christian friend, you must, you must, you must banish any and all thoughts. You must banish any and all doubt that calls into question his love for you. You must. You must. Just as you must cease looking within for any reason for his love for you. Okay? Again, having the privilege and joy of serving pastoral ministry for 40 some now years, I've, I've encountered many people in the midst of lamenting their sin, genuinely lamenting their sin with tears in their eyes, saying to me, in light of my sin, because of my sin, how could God love me? Why would God love me? And often what I do as a way to convey affection and surprise them, ultimately serve them, I say to them with a smile on my face, I'm clueless about that. How could God love you? Pal, I only know a fraction of your sin. And I struggle loving you at times. <laughs> How does God love you in the midst of all your sin? Oh, that's a mystery for the ages, pal. I got nothing for you on that. What am I trying to do? Often what this person is trying to do is say, would you please find something worthy in me that you can commend that would explain his love for me? And my response is, no. No, I won't, because it ain't there, okay? If all we do is explore your heart and life, what we're going to have is proof after proof after proof that you richly deserve his wrath. That's, that's what that search and discovery will yield. The Bible, these ver there's nothing about you in these verses except that you were the object of his love. Peter's pastoral care is saying, look away from yourself. Look outside yourself. Stop being so preoccupied with yourself. Introspection is not going to deliver you to this. Look up. Look out. Look back. The prophets, they were serving you. Look up. Look out. Look back. Evangelists, we're serving you. Look up. Oh, look way up. God himself gave his spirit to the prophets so they might prophesy about the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, revealing that Christ loved sinners like you and me centuries before he 
cave. Second reference is by the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven. That, that appears to be a reference to the day of Pentecost. And it would obviously be informed by the personal experience of, of Peter having been present and participating on that historic day in the purpose of God for the church. The Holy Spirit was sent from heaven so that salvation might be revealed to those who announced it, to the original recipients of Peter's letter, and to us. So, get this, get this. The same Spirit that was at work in the prophets was at work <laughs> sent from heaven <laughs> when the gospel was proclaimed to you. Same Spirit. Same spirit at work resulting in your salvation. That's the backstory. That's the backstory. If you're converted, that's the backstory to your conversion. That's the backstory to every conversion. And here's, here's the good news well, for me this morning. I am happy to announce that the Spirit of God is still doing this. He is still doing this. He is still at work. And once again, he is at work this morning because I have the privilege to proclaim good news that Christ suffered in the place of sinners in order to save sinners from wrath and for God. And here is, here is this informs the prayer of your pastors. This informs my prayer this morning for all our non-Christian friends who are present. I pray that this proclamation of the gospel accompanied by the Spirit of God sent from heaven results in your conversion today. Can I plead with you? Can I appeal to you? Can I beg you the sin you are giving yourself to doesn't deliver as advertised? It lies. It promises pleasure and delivers some pleasure for a brief period of time, but sin fails to tell you of its consequences. And we're not just talking about your practical experience. Most serious is consequences in relation to God. Now, God so loved sinners like you and I that he sent his son and punished him with the punishment for our sin that we deserve. Prophets saw this. That's what they announced. Christ fulfilled this. And then I get to act as an evangelist today and say to you, why, would, like, why wouldn't you want to receive this gift of salvation? So turn. Right now, right in your heart, right as you sit here, just turn and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I flee from my sin to the Savior you provided for my sin. Please forgive my sin and transform my life by your grace and for your glory. Do it. You will never regret it. And you will rejoice in this, not just for the rest of your life, but by God's grace for all eternity. And by the way, just got to finish up here. I'm so sorry. This is so. Before I started, Bill said, okay, you got to watch here. You got a clock working there on this screen. I even brought my own, but, and really, true story, I'm not making this up. It, it went off somehow. Some, there's been a malfunction, okay? <laughs> and I'm sorry, I've lost my way in terms of time. So we will 
try to finish this up without being hurried. But I must draw your attention briefly, verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, because we have been served by those sufferings. We've been served. The Son of God received the sufferings. And what do we get? We get the grace. To those who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, he suffers. What do we get? Not what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve. We get grace, all because of his suffering. Now, he isn't done yet, so here's the final point. Peter isn't done yet. Did you notice that he add things into which angels long to look? Sure you notice that. I think I can assume that this concluding phrase in verse 12 probably captured your, captured your attention, provoked your curiosity. What's, that, what's up with that? Things into which angels long to look. Well, listen, again, Peter is caring for them. He is impressing upon them their privileged status. He's telling them about their unusual story. And he concludes by drawing their attention to the heavenly realm. The angels who have no need of salvation long to look into salvation. Angels, right now. This is present tense. They have a holy curiosity. Angels have a holy delight in the saving actions of God and the wonder of human salvation. And angels have a holy curiosity. So they are pictured here as intently watching the unfolding drama of redemption with an intense desire to understand it more fully. They the angels right now are in awe of what they observe. The gracious work of God in reconciling sinners to himself at the cost of the suffering of his son. Christ didn't come for them. He didn't come for the angels. He didn't take on their nature. He didn't die for them. They, though, long to look into what has been done for sinners like you and me, and they marvel at what they observe. The angels long to look into your salvation if you are a Christian. So, listen, what the Old Testament prophets saw from afar the angels presently marvel at. You want to know what the angelic host is doing right now? Part of what they're doing is, go figure. They're marveling. They long to look into what you have actually experienced. If you're a Christian, they long to look into what you've experienced because they've never experienced it. You've experienced what no angel has experienced. So again, you don't have an unusual story? Like if you said to somebody, you know, you're getting gas on the way home and you pay and you interact and they draw you out. And you say, yeah, yeah, I experienced something this morning no angel has ever experienced. You think that's going to be perceived as unusual? I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to do that, but I am saying that in this passage, that is what Peter is arguing for. Listen, no wonder in verse 3, Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When, when you read through beginning in verse 3 and particular verses 10 through 12, when you comprehend the gracious and magnificent salvation God has provided, it will provoke heartfelt praise to God. This is what Peter wants the original readers to feel in the midst of their persecution, 
He wants them to feel and be freshly reminded of the wonder of salvation. He is saying to them, of all the times for one to be alive in human history, it is an unspeakable privilege to be alive following the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ when the gospel is proclaimed first through the apostles and eyewitnesses and eventually through evangelists and the church. So even though you are being maligned and mistreated for your faith, neither the prophets nor the angels have experienced and enjoyed what you experience and enjoy as part of the church. So they have an unusual story. And so do you. And though we could this morning smile and marvel at the story of the woman who was converted by reading a page of a sermon by Spurgeon that wrapped the butter she purchased. If you are a Christian, her story, though unusual, is not better than your story. It's not better than your story. Not if you talk with the prophets. Not if you ask an angel. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may all you have graciously converted through the proclamation of the gospel marvel afresh that we have experienced what the prophets long to experience, that we have experienced something the angels long to look into, all because you are unspeakably gracious. And Lord, may all our non-Christian friends present, well, may they by the end of the day become our Christian friends as a result of fleeing from their sin and fleeing to the cross so that they might be forgiven of their sin. Lord, that is our prayer. And we conclude now through song, giving you glory and expressing our gratefulness that we have, oh my, do we have an unusual story of grace to tell. In Jesus' name, amen.